what are some of the benefits of being a servant of God? Is that a question that you find difficult to answer? I guess that some of the big benefits, like our sins being forgiven through Jesus and having the promise of eternal life, would be common answers. But I'd also guess that at least for some of us, what first comes to mind are the challenges of being a servant of God. Given our geographical location and the time that we live in, it's true that we face opposition for following Christ. We feel the sorrow of our kids being ridiculed for their faith. Having what we believe not tolerated in our workplaces and friction with friends and family who don't follow Jesus. But if our mindset is focused more on the difficulties of being one of God's servants, then Psalm 119, 65 through 72 will help us understand the benefits even in the midst of difficulty. Before we get into the passage this morning, it would be helpful to understand a few things about these eight verses of Psalm 119. The first is that the psalmist focus on things that are good in five of the eight verses. In verse 65, God treats his servant well, or we could also say he treats his servant with goodness. In verse 66, there's a desire to be taught good judgment. In verse 68, God is good and does what is good. In verse 71, it was good for the psalmist to be afflicted. Does that one set off any alarms for you or questions about how that could possibly be? And finally, in verse 72, instruction from God's lips is better than riches. Or again, another way we could say that is that it's good more than riches. As we're working through the passage, we're going to see over and over again how God is good and works for our good. God is the beneficial blesser of his people. He provides us good things that benefit us, and he does that in both happy and in difficult circumstances, including during times of affliction. The other thing we'll see is that experiencing God's goodness causes the psalmist to want to know more of God's word. In this section of Psalm 119, God's goodness is directly tied to his words, commands, statutes, precepts, and instruction. With these things in mind, let's turn to verses 65 through 72, which we'll look at in two parts. In the first four verses, we'll see the psalmist experiencing God's goodness. And in the last four verses, we'll see God's goodness in the midst of affliction. As we start looking at the first four verses of our passage where the psalmist experiences God's goodness, he begins in verse 65 by saying, Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. God is the beneficial blesser of his people. God's blessings to his servants come in both his provision of beneficial gifts and his promise to provide those good gifts. It's one thing to receive good gifts from God, and each of us as followers of Christ have experienced receiving God's greatest gift to us in saving us from our sins through faith in Jesus. But it's another thing entirely to know that God has promised to provide us 
good gifts and keep providing them. Because when God promises to do something, he always does it. When we talk about God's promises to his people, it's helpful to see examples in God's word. I picked one example from the Old Testament, one example from the New, of God's promises to show good to his people. So that we can see that God has been making promises to his people and keeping them for thousands of years. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16, Moses tells the people of Israel how they are to follow God and how God will beneficially bless them. He says, See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. God promised that he would bless his people in the land they were about to enter and possess. They would live and multiply in this land that God provided them as they loved God and walked in his ways. God beneficially blesses his people as they serve him, which is just what the psalmist said in verse 65. That's our Old Testament example. In Romans 8.28, Paul writes about how God works in the lives of his people that he saved in Jesus Christ. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. God promised that he would work all things together for the good of his people, who love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, God's people experience good from God because they have been called to be God's people for his good purposes. That's our New Testament example. But these are just two out of many of the promises that God has made throughout the scriptures to beneficially bless his people. This raises an important question. Should people who aren't God's servants expect to receive good things from God? Through common grace, all people experience God's goodness. But he does show a particular goodness to his people by treating his servants well as he promised. As we'll see later, God is able to use the affliction his servants face for their benefit too. God's goodness to his servants goes beyond the good things he provides them. His goodness is also demonstrated when God's servants learn to know him better. The psalmist asks for God to teach him in verse 66. Teach me good judgment and discernment to God's commands and commands. The psalmist confirms his commitment to God's commands and trusts in them. As a result, he asks God to teach him good judgment and discernment that is faithful to God's commands. He's asking for the beneficial blessing of practically applying God's commands to how he lives his life. Part of his dependence on God's commands is understanding how to apply them well. So how do we learn to practically apply God's commands? We follow the psalmist's example. We ask for God to teach us good judgment and discernment. Rather than looking deeper within ourselves for good judgment, we recognize our continual need for God 
and we ask him for discernment. That good judgment and discernment come from God through his word. Through God's word, we learn his commands and we rely on them. Through God's work in us, we grow in good judgment in how to apply God's words to every aspect of our lives. Part of the beneficial blessing of being God's people is that he teaches us discernment. Learning good judgment and discernment is a lifelong process. We will continually experience situations that show us we need better discernment of God's word. In these situations, we go back to God's word to learn more, and rather than relying on our own intuition, we ask God to teach us through his spirit. There will be times when we look back and wonder how we could have made the previous decisions that we did and recognize that we didn't have the discernment then that we do now. In these situations, we need to remember two things. First, God's grace was sufficient for us then and it's sufficient for us now. Even though we may be discouraged by our lack of good judgment in the past. Second, this should spur us on to keep asking God to provide us the good judgment and discernment that we so desperately need so that we will more faithfully follow him. Let me explain one of the ways I've experienced this in my own life. When I first became a parent, I was very focused on God's command for children to obey their parents. My attention was on how well our children were doing in obeying me. To be clear, this isn't a wrong or bad desire. It's right there in the word, right? However, I lacked good judgment and discernment. My focus on obedience led to a lack of grace in dealing with my children. In wanting them to obey God and obey me, I tended to be harsh when they didn't obey. Instead of using their disobedience to teach them about God's goodness, of God's salvation in Jesus, and his grace to forgive our sins, I just told them to work harder at obedience. This wasn't helpful, and it wasn't in line with the gospel. Over time, God reminded me that I was holding them to a standard I couldn't keep myself. He convicted me that I wanted God's grace to be forgiven for my sin, but was slow to offer it to them. God developed good judgment in me by reminding me of the truth of the gospel and discernment in how to apply it to my children's lives. By showing me my own failings, he developed in me a greater dependence on him and a willingness to ask him for the discernment that I desperately needed. When I look back on how I dealt with my children early on, I shudder. How could I be so short-sighted? How could I not see my hypocrisy? God reminds me of Jesus' sacrifice that paid for these sins. I didn't do well in obeying him, and he forgives me through Jesus, and calls me to turn from my sin and grow in my faith and obedience to him through the new life he's given me in Christ. As God's people, we can admit when we fail. 
having a desire to turn from our sin rather than holding on to it, demonstrates that we have an understanding of the gospel and the new life God has given us through His Son. If you ever feel like your sin is too big for God to forgive, or that you've sinned so much that God is tired of forgiving you, Jesus' work on the cross comforts us because God's love for us can't be undone by our sin. While the psalmist's current desire is to be taught good judgment and discernment, he also admits that he hasn't always relied on God's commands. In verse 67, he writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist acknowledges that he went astray from God. He also admits that God used affliction in his life to bring him back and teach him to keep God's word. God can and does use affliction in our lives to turn us back from our sin to him. Through affliction, God humbles us in order to show us our need for him and when we are going away from him. God is wise and faithful to bring about the circumstances in our lives that will humble us and bring us back from going astray so that we'll keep his word. It's at this point that I need to make a really important distinction. While it is absolutely true that God brings affliction into our lives to turn us from sin, this isn't the only reason that God allows us to face affliction. Some of the affliction we face is the result of our own sin. And some of the affliction we face is the result of others' sins against us. At this point in the psalm, the psalmist is talking about the affliction he faced as a result of going astray from God. But later, he'll talk about the affliction that he faced because of the actions of wicked people. For sensitive believers who have a tendency to diagnose every difficulty they experience as a result of their own sin. I want to encourage you that not all difficulties are the result of your sin. Some are the result of others' sins against you, and those people are accountable for their sins against you before God. Don't take on the blame for others' sins and be quick to turn away from your own sins and confess them to God knowing that Jesus forgives all your sins through his perfect sacrifice. For self-assured believers who have a tendency to diagnose every difficulty they experience as the result of someone else's sin against them instead of their own, I want to encourage you to evaluate how your sins affect yourself and other people. You need good judgment and discernment to determine when you're facing affliction that is actually the result of your own sin, so that it can lead you to repentance. Don't push the blame for your sin on other people. And be quick to turn away from your sins and confess them to God, knowing that Jesus forgives all of your sins through his perfect sacrifice. For anyone sitting out there that is thinking, I thought you said God is good. How can a good God 
afflict people. That doesn't seem good. The answer is that God is good when he turns us from our self-destructive ways. Letting someone keep going their own way and harming themselves isn't being good to them. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline of us is always for our benefit and allows us to share in his holiness. It is also painful, but it trains us to keep God's word and yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We see along with the psalmist that God, the beneficial blesser, can bring us blessing through affliction that turns us from our sin to obey him. Since the psalmist has learned God's character through God turning him from his sin, he makes a statement about God's character and actions in verse 68. You are good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. He has experienced God's good character and God's good actions in his life. Through both being turned from sin and seeing God treat him well, he knows that God is good and does what is good. Jesus is the Son of God who demonstrated beneficial blessings to his disciples during his time on earth. And he continues to provide beneficial blessings to his disciples even today. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. Jesus protects us, guides us, he feeds us, and he laid down his life for us. Jesus chose to lay down his life for our sins by dying on the cross in our place. Jesus taught us to know, love, and obey the Father, and he provides us correction when we go astray. Everything he did during his life on earth was to bring beneficial blessing to his people. And we look forward to the day he will return and end sin and death. As the psalmist declares God's good character and his good actions, he again asks God to teach him his ways. Being taught God's statutes is a direct demonstration of God's goodness. This is why the psalmist asked to be taught God's word over and over again. It's important for us to see that these verses that give us insight into God's goodness focus at the same time on God teaching his people his word. We learn about God's goodness through his word, and it teaches us who he is and how to serve him. 
Does God's goodness toward you make you hunger to know him more? This is the example the psalmist is setting for us. And as he recounts what it means to experience God's goodness, he wants God to teach him. When I thought about the psalmist's desire to be taught by God, I had to check myself. And I ask you to do the same. How much do we want God to teach us to know him better? Do we want it as much as we want him to meet our desires or to make us comfortable? The psalmist understands that experiencing God's goodness means being transformed by God. Is that what I desire? Is that what you desire? God saves us by his grace through faith so that we can live a new life in Jesus. This new life is transformative. It means putting away the old sinful way of life and putting on the new righteous way of life. It means growing to be more like Jesus day by day. Ultimately, that is what I want. But I'm convicted that I'm holding on to some things that are getting in the way. What I most desire needs to be more aligned with God's word. Being in a relationship with God should cause us to want more of him. If we feel like we've already had enough of him, something is wrong. And we need to ask God to teach us what it is. While seeing God's goodness in our lives can be easier in happy times, it can be hard to see in difficult times. As the psalmist continues into the final four verses of this section, he explains how he experiences God's goodness in the midst of affliction. The psalmist describes how the wicked treat him and how he responds in verses 69 and 70. The arrogant have smeared me with lies, but I obey your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but I delight in your instruction. This isn't the first time the psalmist has mentioned in this psalm how his enemies are treating him. Previously, they taunted him. They spoke against him and ridiculed him. Now they are smearing him with lies, which means they're saying things that aren't true about him in order to ruin his reputation. In their arrogance and unwillingness to humble themselves before God, they will say anything to make the psalmist look bad in the eyes of others, including things they know aren't true. Since they also have hard and insensitive hearts, they don't care that what they're doing is wrong. Being in this type of situation can be particularly difficult for believers because we were once arrogant and hard-hearted toward God. Now that he saved us through Jesus, we don't want to go back to that way of living. Seeing people be arrogant and lie about us feels wrong on every level. Don't they know that they're ultimately arrogant toward God? Don't they understand that lying about his people is wrong and has consequences? The answer is, no, they don't. They're insensitive to God and his ways and think that God's ways are foolishness. It's hard for us to experience this type of opposition because we delight in God's instruction. When we see people despise God's word, it doesn't make sense to us. At this point, we need to remember of God's grace to all people. 
and especially to us who now believe in him. We were just the same as them. And what changed us was God working in our lives to save us from our sinful and insensitive hearts. In the midst of these attacks, the psalmist responds by obeying God's precepts with all his heart and delighting in God's instruction. Instead of repaying evil for evil, he obeys God wholeheartedly. Instead of having an insensitive heart, he delights in God's instruction. There's a clear contrast between the psalmist and his enemies. When they don't feel any pangs of while their hearts are hard and insensitive. When they don't feel any pangs of guilt or remorse, he delights in God's instruction. God's precepts and instruction bring beneficial blessing, even in the midst of hurtful opposition. The psalmist is able to see the contrast between serving God and serving evil, and he delights in serving God, even in the midst of having his name dragged through the mud but the psalmist takes it one step further and says that his affliction was beneficial for him in verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. How can it be that the experience of affliction, of being treated wickedly and lied about, was beneficial for him? Because even in the midst of affliction, he experienced God's beneficial blessing. Through his affliction, he learned God's statutes. When he was lied about, it reminded him of what is true. What is true comes from the word of God and shows us where we're well aligned with God and where we need to be better aligned with him. The psalmist wasn't seeking affliction. And in this case, it's clear that the affliction he goes through is due to the sins of others. But as he sinned against, it teaches him to know God more. God uses adversity to show his faithfulness to us and to grow us in our faithfulness to him. Through his own experience, the psalmist sees why lying about others is wrong. He sees how arrogance keeps people from humbly following God. He feels the wrong that's done to him. And he knows it's wrong because of what he's learned from God's word. As he sees the consequences of turning away from God, it helps him delight in God's instruction and the beneficial blessing it brings to God's people. Again, I want to be careful in how we think about being treated wickedly by other people. Can God use these experiences to teach us? Yes, he can. Does that excuse the behavior of wicked people? Absolutely not. Just because God uses the intentions of evil people for our good doesn't make their evil actions any less evil. We can say, along with Joseph, when he spoke to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good. This helps us understand at an even deeper level, just how good God is. Even the darkest actions of evil people can be used by God to accomplish beneficial blessings for his people, to learn about him and grow in him. Having seen God use affliction for his good, the psalmist finishes in verse 72. 
instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Instruction from God's lips is good, and its goodness is more valuable than thousands of gold and silver pieces. When God teaches us his word and its value, we come to know that it's more valuable than any amount of money. In the world God made, his word is better than riches. His instruction brings us beneficial blessings that silver and gold simply can't. When we're making lists of what we should desire the most, God's word goes right to the top of the list. We don't want to make light of the affliction that the psalmist experienced or that we experience. However, like the psalmist, we can recognize that learning God's word and knowing it more is worth going through affliction if that's what God has for us. He will provide us perseverance through our trials because his son faced similar trials and obeyed God's word to win our salvation. Jesus Christ came as a beneficial blessing from God the Father and laid down his life so that we can experience the blessings of God instead of the wrath that we deserved. Not only was Jesus good, he did good and taught us to know and obey God. Even though we were hard-hearted and insensitive to our sin, it didn't stop Jesus from fulfilling all of God's promises in order to reconcile us to God. When the arrogant smeared him with lies, he obeyed God with all his heart and delighted in his instruction, even though it meant dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus endured opposition from people who lied about him, misrepresented what he said, and wanted to discredit him. We're called to follow his example. As we experience affliction due to the sins of others, we learn to grow in obedience to God through that adversity. God shows us his goodness by teaching us to know him and growing us in our faith in him. Jesus' sacrifice for our sins even pays for the times that we're arrogant and unfeeling toward God and when we sin against him and others. Jesus is our resurrected Savior who gives us new life and transforms our lives today as we wait for the eternal life God has promised is coming. Jesus is the fullest expression of God's goodness to us. And all the beneficial blessings we receive from God were purchased by him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good to us as you have promised. Father, we thank you that you are the good God. It is part of who you are and that you do what is good. You show your good actions toward your people. Father, we thank you that that can occur even in the midst of affliction. And so we ask, Father, that we would follow the example of your Son, our Savior, in continuing to persevere in the midst of affliction, in not losing heart, in not being discouraged, but trusting you to provide us the perseverance, the endurance, the wisdom, and to use the difficult situations we face to grow us in our understanding of your word and our faith in you. Father, we praise you for Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness and goodness in coming and laying down his life so that our sins could be forgiven. Father, thank you for the goodness you showed us through him. May we continue to grow in our faith and obedience to you 
Lord, may you continue to teach us your word and work it into our hearts and minds. May you continue, Lord, to be glorified in us and through us as your people. We praise you in Jesus' name.